This is the New Life Rancho Vista podcast. We are a church committed to loving God, growing together, and serving others. Our prayer and desire is that this message from our campus pastor, Peter Moore, will be a help and an encouragement to you, regardless of where you are in your relationship with Jesus. So let's open our hearts and minds as we turn our attention to the incredible truths God has for us today. We're in this eight-week study and it's the book of Philippians. It was written to a specific people, uh, the book of Philippi, and, or the, the church at Philippi. And here's a picture of what it would have looked like. Ancient Philippi uh, would, have, would, have had, would have been built into a hill. It's, it's, it's still built on a hill, but it would have been uh, a little bit further back than it would have been uh, where, where it is today. So ancient Philippi would have been up against the mountains, up against the hills. And uh, it was a Roman city uh, in modern-day Greece. And so this was an actual city, an actual group of people that Paul was writing to. What makes this letter so special is that the, the Apostle Paul, who had been visited by Jesus, who had the power of God on his life, did multiple miracles, and uh, was confirmed by many thousands of people in the first century church, and uh, lots of, of reasons to know and believe that the Holy Spirit was speaking to him, telling him what to write, and uh, I believe that, that the Apostle Paul was inspired to write this particular section about the love of God and uh, it dwelling in our hearts. Uh, and so we're going to uh, just go verse by verse to the end. We left off uh, last week uh, at verse number 7, but I want to read uh, verse number 6 and 7 again today because uh, I want you to get, get kind of what I was saying because it, it'll make sense for going into the rest of the passage. It says, being confident of this very thing that he, that's God, ha- which hath began, begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, religion says you have to perform You have to perform once you become a Christian or once you become a church person, you have to perform. But what God says through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that Jesus died so that you wouldn't have to be the performer, but that you could just rest in his performance on the cross. So he begins the work at salvation, but he's the one that's going to continue it, okay, until you meet him face to face. And then it says in verse number 7, even as it is meet for me to think of this of you all, because I have, uh, I, because I have you in my heart, so we say, man, I, I'm, I'm for you, I'm, I love you, uh, inasmuch as both in my bonds, okay, uh, he was in prison. Uh, in fact, I think we have a picture of the ancient prison that he was in. Most likely, this was the Philippian prison that he was in when he was in Philippi, the the city of Philippi. And of course, we know he's in a Roman prison right now, uh, most likely a a uh, one of the 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 prisons that they would use um, to to kind of hide prisoners in plain sight. They would use a a house that was real close to the palace there, Caesar's palace. They would they would chain uh, the prisoner to a guard 24/7 in six-hour shifts, uh, and so that's what he's talking about being in bonds. And we'll talk about that later on in the series as well. Then it says, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye 
uh, all are partakers of my grace. Now, last week we talked about grace. That's the divine enablement, uh, the help and strength that God gives you that you cannot have from anywhere else or from yourself. And so he's saying, everything I'm doing is for the gospel. That's the death, burial, and resurrection of God, the good news. And, and it is done through God's grace, through the grace of God. Now, it's interesting that he says, in my bonds, because Paul is writing from a prison about when he was in prison, and Paul spent most of his life sitting behind bars. Now, maybe some of you in here can identify with that, uh, but if we are talking about literal bars, okay, that would be a bummer. That's, that's what he was referring to. But you know what hit me this week is sometimes we place ourselves behind spiritual bars. And sometimes we place our, our, our lives behind the bars of what has happened in our past. And there's a choice that all of us can make. We can live in bondage to our past, or we can know that we were are, we are meant to be strengthened to get past our past. Uh, I remember uh, talking to someone uh, about being in a wheelchair, and, and uh, someone asked him, uh, are you, uh, do you feel bound to that wheelchair? And his response was, un, uh, un, it, was it was remarkable, it was, it was incredible. He said, no, I don't feel bound to this wheelchair, I feel liberated by it. Because if I didn't have this wheelchair, I'd be, I'd be in a seat or, 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 or in one room. He said, no, this, this wheelchair has given me an opportunity to see the world. Same thing is true. There's a position at work, maybe a relationship, maybe something you feel bound by instead of feeling liberated, instead of feeling empowered, instead of feeling entrusted with that, you feel bound by it. So what I want to tell you today is that salvation comes through grace, but then after salvation, it's all about the gradual progression of being made like Jesus. It's, it's not the illusion of perfection. See, uh, why I'm always talking about uh, my, my disdain for um, organized religion or religiosity is not because there are these horrible people who are religious people. I'm saying they are making the illusion that you have to be perfect to come to church. They're making the illusion that if you're not perfect, Jesus won't accept you, that you can't grow. And, and, and that's not what the Bible says. In fact, it's the opposite. It's not the illusion of perfection. It is the process of progression. And so here's the key thought from this, just this introduction is that we must trade the pursuit of perfection that relate, uh, religious people try to get you to do, the pursuit of perfection, for the celebration of progression. That is the loving, merciful hand of God saying, I know you're not where you want to be. I know your life doesn't look like you thought it would at this stage. I understand you're not. Uh, you're a little disappointed uh, with the, the, the process, but listen, the process was never about claiming perfection. The process was always about saying, how can I make progress? How can I make progress each and every day. The problem with a, a relationship with God and following God is sometimes it seems so slow. The progress seems like it's just crawling along. Uh, my, my boys like the movie Zootopia. I think we have a clip of that movie where they walk into the DMV and, and the DMV is filled with, uh, with the sloth. So, so, so watch this. If you haven't seen this, I want to reference it. I hope so. We are really fighting the clock and every minute counts. Wait. 
They're all slots? Now, if you work for the DMV, that's okay, guys. I think they get the picture. If you work for the DMV, okay, I'm not saying anything against you, but have you ever been to the DMV, okay? Uh, they're not sloths, but it is a very long process. Now, what this verse is trying to tell us is that regardless of how long the process takes, our perspective is not to be on the timetable. It's to be on the next step. It's not supposed to say, okay, well, this, this, is not my, this is not my timetable that I would have chosen. And so therefore, God, you are the one putting your stamp, but you're really, really slow. You're, 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 you're kind of dragging your feet. How, how many of you know that we can get up and say as a church, you know, well, God's always on time. And you think, yeah, but he's never early. <laughs> Just being honest, right? Like, like I mean, come on. I've been waiting a long time for an answer to this prayer. I've been, I've been really searching. And so w w when we say something like it's, it's a gift of love for God to, to, to allow us to go through a process of just little bitty steps of growth, what we're trying to say is that it's every day taking the step that matters. And we ended last week with putting one piece of paper on a table and it not making any difference. In fact, I don't think anyone in here could see the paper, but when I put a week worth of papers and a month worth of papers and then a year worth of papers, you could really see the difference. You see the, 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 the uh, walk with God that you're wanting and the, the relationships that you're wanting are, are, are built day by day. That's what Paul said to the church at Corinth in Corinthians uh, 4 and verse number 15. 16 he, he said the outward man perish listen we're all going to have an outward man that perishes okay the, the older you get the more it's going to perish the more it's going to break down uh, but the inward man is renewed all at once right no day by day can we say that together day by day the problem is we want sprint by sprint not day by day we want big moment, but we want fast. I mean, that's our culture. Like, give it to me fast. If you can't spit it out, then, then just text it to me, okay? Just uh, come on, man. Like, get to the point. Get to the point. And so the, 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 the point is that grace is something that God designed for us to reach for together, not just to be enjoyed alone. And so this process of progression is to say that it involves other people. And it involves people that you wouldn't have involved yourself. It involves people that you wouldn't necessarily have picked. And that's why we're doing the Bible meditation groups. Is We're going to pick people to share some things that God's telling us that we wouldn't necessarily picked. If a crazy guy like me hadn't stood up and said, this is a good idea. And some of you are thinking, I am antisocial. This is a bad idea. I don't want to share anything with people I know and love, much less some complete stranger in my church. And so what I'm trying to tell you is that God has placed that complete stranger in your church because he is trying to help you go day by day in the process of growth. And so the word partakers at the very end of, of verse 7 is this word. It's the word that means to be jointly participating, partakers in the same endeavor, to share the same source of strength. How many know our same source of strength is grace? 
It's not me. It's, it's not some three-step plan. It's, it's, it's not some secret sauce, you know, that everyone's looking for for the relationships. It's the principles in God's word, and the principle boils down to this. We all need God's grace. We all need God's grace for our race. And so here's a, a, a key question to ask yourself, and that is this. If God has given us grace to enable us, what is the purpose of having this divine grace, of having this divine inner strength? What is the purpose? And I want to submit to you today that the purpose is found in the next several verses that we're going to go through, and it is love. The purpose of grace is love. Can you say that with me? The purpose of grace is love. The reason God enables you is not for you to love yourself more. It's to love him more. And you say, why? I mean, yeah, okay, but yeah, God wants me to love him. How does that work? What does that look like? It looks like every time you love someone else. Every time you love someone else. And so the, the true unselfish love that's mentioned as agape love in this passage, okay, it, it, it is something that atheists can't explain. That the weary, can, the, the weary and the weak, uh, they, they can't, they can't outrun. And, and the Christian can't get enough of this type of love. Why? Because it is the way that God has wired us to work. You need love. You need unselfish love. But you also need the chance to give it to others as well. And so there are three parts to this Christ-like love that I want to show you briefly this morning. And I love what Warren Wiersbe, I put in your notes, he said if Jesus had made a specific uh, psychological uh, textbook, uh, uh, a, a psychological uh, you know, set of, of things that we all needed to know, as our creator, here's what you needed to know for your culture, our culture today, 2020. It would be the book of Philippians. If you're looking for uh, some, some help, uh, maybe in your relationship, uh, maybe, maybe just with some, some habits, something going on, man, this is such a practical book for that. And so uh, let's, let's go to verse number eight, okay? Verse number eight. And uh, we're going to see how the first part of this Christ-like agape love, okay, is that the deepest love, okay, the deepest love sacrifices. The deepest love so the love that goes deeper than any trial, the love that goes deeper than any petty argument, the love that goes deeper than, than any disappointment, the love that goes deeper than any infidelity, the love that goes deeper than anything that the world can bring at us, the love that goes deeper is a sacrificial love. Now, many uh, relationship and, and, and uh, you know, a great family, you know, and, and uh, marriage and family therapists, and then they'll, they'll talk a lot about the different ins and outs of communication and all of this, but what it, what it really boils down to when it comes to all of our relationships, relationships with your parents, relationships with your relatives, relationships with friends, coworkers, so on, uh, or a spouse, is that it must be a sacrificial love for it to be a love that is received the way that God wants it to be received. And so, we're in Philippians chapter, uh, in Philippians chapter 1, verse number 8. And, uh, and, and I want to go through this, okay? Uh, but, but instead of reading all the verses, we're going to be reading these on our own this week. I want to go through and talk about what it means when he says that I have longed for you with bowels, in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Like what some of this phrase, phraseology we don't use anymore. And so let me break this down a little bit for you, okay? Uh, go to the chart. The five sacrifices of agape love are listed from verse 8 to verse number 14. And these are the five. And I put them in your notes there so you could just focus on these. It's a sacrifice of self-perfection. Uh, 
self-perception. Meaning, Paul was willing to use an embarrassing term. He said, in the deepest part of my belly, I feel this sense of love for you, compassion for you. And, and, he, and he said, it's, it's something that's inside of me. It's something that will not go away. You ever felt a gut feeling that you're just like, man, I wish that would have happened differently? Well, he was feeling it in prevention. He was saying, I just really, really want to show my love to you. I want to show my uh, agape, my, my agapao, as the, as the Greek word says. This is a, a type of love that's selfless. This is a type of love that shares compassion. But he didn't just, uh, he, he didn't just give us uh, this, this type of love uh, just for us to, to, to be loved that way ourselves. He said, no, I want you to sacrifice to give this. Okay? So based on these five sacrifices, I want, I want to show you something that we can reach for, something that we can do. Letter A, grace-filled love gives us the power to reach beyond self-perception. No matter how you perceive yourself, if you're, if you're good or if you're terrible, if you're, if you're getting better or if you're just getting worse, if, the, if things are getting better or things are getting worse, we can reach beyond our self-perception to say, God, give me your view of me. Give me your view of my spouse. Give me your view of my children. Then after we reach beyond self-perception, uh, we have to reach beyond self-deception. I'm going to do an entire series on lies we tell ourselves. We did something like that last year, and it was really helpful to me personally. But everyone in here has blind spots. Everyone in here is, is lying to yourself about something. Tonight we're going to talk about excuses and how that's the number one thing temptation uses to, to get us to lie about the consequences as excuses. But self-deception is seen in verse number 9. Look at verse number 9. It says uh, in, in chapter 1 and verse number 9, um, it, it says that, I pray, this I pray. I'm praying for this. And he was not praying selfishly. He was not deceiving himself to say, well, if I pray for this, maybe I'll get this. See, prayer is not to be used as a tool to deceive or to, to get something that you want. Prayer is a tool to release something that you have, to get something you cannot have on your own. That's why we pray and fast. It tells our bodies and it tells our souls we are not in control, that someone greater, something greater is at risk. And so there's lots of people who joke about prayer. There's lots of people who talk about prayer. In fact, one of our modern poets that many of you will recognize uh, says this, I haven't been to church since I don't remember when. Things were going great until they fell apart again. So I listened to the preacher as he told me what to do he said, you can't go hating others you have to, uh, who've done wrong to you. Sometimes we get angry, but we must not condemn. Let the good Lord do his job and just pray for them. So that's what he's saying, the preacher says. This country poet says this. I pray your brakes go out coming down a hill. I pray a flower pot falls from a window still and knocks you on your head like I'd like to. I pray your birthday comes and no one calls. I pray you're flying high and the engine stalls. Oh my. I pray all your dreams never come true. Just know wherever you are, I'm praying for you. Now let me just say something. As much as we're like, yeah, okay, it's a song, you know, the guy was joking. As much as we say that, sometimes we feel that. 
Sometimes we deceive ourselves to say, okay, uh, I'll pray for you. <sighs> Sometimes we say prayer request out of spite. You really should pray for that one. Whew. Wow, does he need help. And what we're doing is we're deceiving ourselves to say that we don't. We're almost acting like, yeah, everyone else might be falling apart, but, but I got everything together. And the reality is everyone is falling apart. We're just better at, at putting on band-aids than others. And so when we come to this passage, put up verse number 9 again. When he says, I'm praying, he's saying, I'm praying that your love, not, I'm praying that you would love me more. That's what we want. No, he's saying, I am praying that your love may abound. Yet more and more in the knowledge and all judgment, you see, a lot of times we want love to abound, but we don't want to go to God's knowledge and God's understanding and God's judgment to know how. See, the word abound is this word. It's, it's the word that means to be over and above to be overflowing in abundance. You see, our love isn't supposed to be just within our borders. It's supposed to be filling up inside of us the love of God that it's spilling out to everyone around us. Let me ask you a question. How much of God's love spilled out of you this week? How much of God's love was just pouring out of you to others in your community, your neighbors, your friends, your family, your coworkers? And so, we have to reach past, reach beyond that self-deception. And what does that mean specifically? He continues to go. Verse 10 and 11 says to reach beyond self-interest. See, it's easy to reach beyond yourself if there's that slight chance that you might get a kickback, right? Like, it's easy to reach beyond yourself if you're like, yeah, but I like them. It's easy to reach beyond yourself if it's like, yeah, but that might benefit me some. And, and what he's saying in verse number 10 and 11 is this. He's saying that ye may approve the things which are excellent. These are the best things, not just good, but excellent. That ye may be sincere without offense until the day of Christ. The word sincere means to be without wax. You see, when they would sell porcelain or pottery or whatever, sometimes it would be broken, and someone could take wax and they would put it back together with this wax and they would polish it so that you could never tell. And you could never tell unless you put it up to the sunlight. And if you put it up to the sunlight, then that sunlight shining through would show that it, there, there, it was repaired. It would be the, the equivalent of you buying a car that was wrecked and then salvaged and no one said anything. And so the reality is most of us try to put wax on our cracks, on, the, on, on the, the things that we're not proud of. We like to kind of cover up a little bit. And he said, I'm just being sincere. I'm being wide open with you. Uh, and verse number 11 says this. He says, this is what I'm trying to just tell you. I'm trying to tell you that, that I'm being sincere uh, without offense because I, I'm being fruit filled with not me. Uh, whatever you see that's good, that's right, that's righteous, it's the fruits or the result of Christ Jesus under the glory and praise of God, meaning I'm not looking for a kickback. I'm not looking for praise. I'm actually looking to lift him up. He knew he was faulty. He knew he was pieced back together by the grace of God. No, it's not about me. It's not about my self-interest. It's about Christ in and through me. You see, hypocrisy is doing the devil's work with God's clothes on. And when we are hypocrites, that, that the, the number one reason why people don't come to church is there are hypocrites. We are acting like we don't have flaws, even though we know we do. 
And we are realizing that, that, that other people are seeing this and we're not just honest enough to say, man, you know what? I'm working through stuff just like you are. Self-interest. Reach beyond self-interest. And we reach beyond self-interest past self-pity. Self-perception, a wrong self-perception leads to self-deception. Self-deception leads to self-interest. Self-interest, psychology will teach you, and the Bible, obviously, will teach you that that will lead ultimately to self-pity. You say, what's wrong with self-pity? Well, let me show you. Verse number 12. He says, but I would love, uh, but, but I would, ye, should understand. So he's like, man, this is something I would love to happen. I mean, I really would like you to understand this, brethren. It's, he's talking to people in the church. He's talking to people who, who, who are on this walk called the Christian walk following Jesus. That the things which happen to me have befallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. That word furtherance, we'll see it at the end, means progress. So he's saying, I'm making progress not for me. I'm actually making progress for the gospel. I'm making progress for Jesus. I'm not sitting here in a, in a jail cell t- uh, tied to a, to a, a massive uh, guard because I want you to have self-pity. No, 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 I'm not having self-pity. Uh, so my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all the places. He said, God had a plan. He wanted to reach some people in Caesar's palace. He wanted to reach some people, and so he said, listen, this is, this is why I'm doing this. I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not holding it. I'm not going to hold on to a grudge because of, you know, someone told you know, on me, and, and many believe that there was someone who actually went uh, to Rome to testify against him and, and, t- and tell Rome that he should be killed, and, and that's what happened. Paul was beheaded. Uh, spoiler alert, that's how the story ends. But Paul could have very easily took offense by that. Here I am just trying to do right, put in prison for telling people about Jesus. Poor me. You know, all of us can have those poor me moments. This week, uh, actually yesterday, yesterday morning, it's early in the morning and Danielle and I were going to see her brother um, down in Fontana and so we got up early and uh, it, you know, it's dark, I'm tired, I was getting ready, I'm almost ready to go, and uh, we have this one drawer in our bathroom that has Q-tips in it, and uh, if you don't know what Q-tips, little, little these, okay, so um, I'm just on the one chance that there was one person who didn't know what I was talking about, uh, we're going to talk about pool here, um, so uh, anyway, I, I reach in the drawer, and I, and I grab one again, it's, it's, it's dark, I'm, I'm tired, and I'm starting to use it, and you know how it just doesn't, it didn't feel right? You know, your ears are pretty sensitive, it didn't feel right, and I, I put it on, oh, whatever, I put in the other one, and I, and I pull it out, and I kind of turn the lights up brighter, and this is a drawer with all new, brand new Q-tips, and I look, and there was makeup all over it. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's not cool. Now, there's only one of us in our household that wears makeup. I'm talking about reach for love, okay? So I did get her permission to share this story, okay? When I reached in there, I was not expecting to put mascara all over my ear. I wanted to clean it out, not make it dirty. And so in that very real life yesterday moment, I had a choice to make. Because I'm like, oh, 
that, that was dirty. And you have that moment to say, am I going to hold on to this? Or am I going to let this go? Because obviously she was just as tired as I was. It's five in the morning and we're like, it's a Saturday, fam. Like, it's a Saturday and it's 5 a.m. That's how much I love my brother-in-law, okay? <laughs> now, I love getting up early anyway, but I mean, I'm, I'm just telling you, like, I had to make that and it was just a split-second choice. Like, am I going to hold on to this or am I going to let it go? Can I just tell you something that I hope really helps your relationships today? That the longer you hold on to something, the more it holds on to you. And if you're not willing to let something go, friend, it will hold on to you. You see, the problem with resentment, the problem with holding on to an offense, is it destroys the person holding on to it. And so he said, I'm not going to hold on to this. Listen, whatever the reason was that I am in chains right now, I'm just going to say that God is in it. I'm going to let this go. He didn't name the people. He didn't sit there in self-pity. And, and, and listen, there's going to be something that's going to happen. And you know what? And I'll just speak freely. There's going to be something that's going to happen at this church. I hope it doesn't. I pray every week that something doesn't happen where someone gets offended, but someone's going to cut you off in the parking lot. Some little kid, heaven forbid, is going to be a biter one day. Man, no way. Please, no, Lord, please. But it's going to happen. And when that happens, you have to ask yourself, well, I wasn't, or this wasn't, or why didn't they? Listen, we're all trying to get this stuff sorted. And so if we're not willing to give this forgiveness that we'll talk about in a minute, if we're not willing to let it go, then that self-pity will keep us from reaching beyond it to Christ-like love. And so we see this, that he reached beyond self-pity. He reached past his his ability to, uh, to have self-pity. And then, he reached beyond self-promotion. Beyond self-promotion. Now, the default of misplaced priorities is self-promotion. And, you know, John the Baptist said, I must decrease, Jesus must increase, but we all must. And here's the key thought from this point, and that is this. Is that hope and confidence in life come from a deep-rooted relationship with Christ? Must come from a relationship with Christ. Now, if you're here and you do not know that you have a relationship with Him, meaning if I asked you a question, how would you get into a perfect heaven? You would say, I don't know. Maybe I've done some good things. Maybe I've done some bad things. I'm not sure. The only right answer to that is I am trusting solely in Jesus Christ. You say, I'm like 90% sure that I know Jesus as my Savior. That He's Now, listen, these things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. And so this is not something we're guessing about. We're not guessing about having a relationship with Jesus. We're, we have a deep-seated relationship. Tonight we're going to talk about how the Spirit beareth witness with our spirit that we're, we're of God. That, that, that my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to protect them, he says. So, so this is a real relationship with Christ. Now, now notice what Paul says in verse 14. Paul says this. Verse number 14, uh, 13 or 14, yeah, verse number 14 says this. Many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident in my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You know what happens when you have a heart of love for God and for others? Your fear starts to disappear. You know what 2 Timothy 1, 7 says? 
God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. God has not given you the spirit of fear. Oh, but what if, if I sacrifice that, then, then this person, and they'll say, and if I let it go, then it will get worse. Let it go and, and allow God to, to take the process of building that relationship the way that he designed. So we, we must, the first part is, is deep, the deepest kind of love sacrifices. Number, number two, these, these two points are, are, are the shortest, but I, I do want you to know that they're, they're, they're just equally as important because the truest love forgives. Sacrifice is one thing, but if you're having a sacrificial heart and you're not willing to forgive, then you're sacrificing outwardly and you're selfish inwardly. So here's the breakdown of the next few verses. There are three evidences of true forgiveness in this passage. True forgiveness is expressive, not defensive. Verse 15, I'll let you read it on your own. Verse 15 through 17, he says, Oh yeah, those people who are saying bad things about me, well, at least they believe in Jesus, so that's fine. He was willing to talk about it. He was willing to express what was going on, but he wasn't defensive. You know how I know when, when a lack of forgiveness is present? When someone says, no, well, I was yeah, I, defensive. By the way, I've been there thousands of times. And so we're all, we all try to get defensive to defend where we feel like we're right. And true forgiveness is like, I may be right, I may not be, but honestly, there, there's something that's more important. In fact, can I just tell you something? And I think this is in your notes. Forgiveness is not minimizing the wrong that was done. True forgiveness is just magnifying what's more important. And so I've walked a lot of people through uh, marital troubles, and, and I've walked through my own marital troubles as I've talked to you guys about. And I will tell you that we have a choice to make. Are we going to value what God values over what we value? And so it's not about being defensive as he, as, as, as he just modeled perfectly in verse 15 through 17. But true forgiveness is thankful, not resentful. Thankful. He says, I'm just so grateful that the gospel is getting out. Uh, and, and, and true forgiveness is others-focused, not self-focused. In fact, put this passage up, and this is incredible. Uh, 15 through 21, if you have it. Um, he goes, there's some that have envy and, envy and strife, verse 15, verse 16. Um, and and, and they, they, they're saying that there's something wrong with me because I'm in bonds, verse 17. Uh, but others of love. Some people are loving. And, and, and I'm so thankful, he says uh, in verse number 18, that, that whether in pretense or truth that Christ is preached, for I know uh, that, that this shall be for my salvation, not salvation as in salvation from sin, but salvation from, uh, from this life, from his bonds, uh, through your prayer and supply of the Spirit of Christ Jesus, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that all the boldness always, so now as Christ shall be magnified in my body. What does that mean? That he said, well, regardless, if I'm locked up or if I'm out there, I just want to make, I want to I magnify Christ. Now, what does this mean? Guys, put this up. What does it mean to magnify Christ? What does it mean to magnify Christ? I think I have a ball over there, and if, if I don't, then we won't use it. Okay, but I took a picture this morning with this ball, okay? And I want to ask you a question. I don't know where, they, where we put it, okay? Uh, it, it went somewhere, and um, let, me, let me see. Here we go. It, it, it rolled down stage, so they're, they're getting it right now. 
But if I, if I were to ask you, okay, which is bigger, this ball, okay, or this ball? All right, now, now you say, well, I mean, it could be it's, it's the, 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 the distance or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So, so that ball was taken, uh, the picture was taken behind, uh, right, right before that wall. This ball is closer to you, and it's in person. And so it looks bigger. Point is, when he said, I am magnified in Christ Jesus, he, he's not saying that I am, I'm good, I'm greater. Guys, put up the word there. This is what he's saying. He's saying, no, I'm making something else greater. I'm displaying something else in greater fashion. I'm, I'm exalting something else. I'm enlarging through a decrease in distance. When I read that, I'm like, what does that mean? Oh, it means this, that when something's up close, it looks bigger. See, see, the closer you get to Jesus, the more of Jesus comes onto you. The more people can see Jesus when they get closer to you, when they start talking to you. When you're following Jesus and you get close to them, Jesus gets bigger to them. Jesus gets greater to them. Do you see that? And so in this passage of Scripture, hopefully that doesn't hit something, okay? Um, in this passage, came out, meant to be. Um, and so... In this passage of Scripture, the, the forgiveness that, that's being talked about here is not about minimizing what someone else did. It, 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 he's not saying that that was right for them to tell on him, that was right for them to say evil things about him. No. He wasn't saying that he was happy about it. He was just saying that there's something more important here. And if we in the greatest moments of our, of, of our disappointment and anger would say, wait a second, what's more important? What's more important in this moment, winning the argument or maintaining a relationship? You say, but I've already, you know, been through three relationships, or I've already, you know, this thing's past that. Let me just tell you something. What's more important now? Forgiving yourself for what's happened and allowing God to forgive you and allow God to restore you, or just beating yourself over the head because of what happened? Uh, and so we have to come back to the truest form of love, and the truest form of love forgives. Now, I want you to see this because this is so remarkable in this passage. This is, this is the, the, the point that I wanted to make. It, is verse number 21 uh, says this. Verse number 21 says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's say that together. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. The one thing I wanted to take a minute to show you is that when you say um, for me to live, okay? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking through what I'm going to do here. I'm going to probably bring this out so you guys can see it better, okay? Thank you. Look at that. Okay, we're getting serious here, okay? It's chalk talk. For me to live is, he put, is Christ. But then he said to, to die is and then he put gain. So if we're living like Christ wants us to, then we're gaining. Here's the problem. I say, for me to live is me. But the only equation that works is Christ. See, because anything else I put here, if I put for me to live is fun, I want to have fun. Everything else to die is loss. 
The only way we can have eternal gain, which is what this word means, the only way we can have eternal increase, the only way you can have the satisfaction, the, the, the fullness that will not leave you empty, that empty feeling you're feeling is this, for me to live is something else other than Christ. But the only way we can have this gain that we're all looking for, you know, and not just gains, okay? <laughs> we're talking about actual, um, you know, mental, physical, emotional gain. We're talking about the fullness of God that's mentioned so many times in Scripture that we're all seeking, okay? It has to be for me to live is Christ. And if it is Christ, then it can be gained, but everything else is loss. He says that over and over in this book. And so, friend, the, the question we must ask ourselves as we uh, try to put this back, I'm trying not to, oh, thanks, man. Those guys are all over it. Um, the, the question we have to ask ourselves is, do I want earthly gain or do I want heavenly gain? Or do I want the gain that fills me up and, and, and allows me to, to live the life or, or, or do I just want this life that just is okay and, and, and fine with just being, just getting by by the skin of my teeth, by just, just barely getting by? Now here's the key thought from this point and we'll move on to the next one. True love realizes there is always more to gain through forgiving like Christ. See, the reality is Christ forgave you so much that in order to not forgive someone else, you are losing. He, in fact, he says this all throughout his, his time on earth. He said, if you're not willing to forgive, why should I give you my forgiveness? Like, I mean, come on, you guys. Why, why, I'm forgiving everything and you're not willing to forgive anything, right? And so there's so much more to gain. There's so much more, by the way, on the negative side, there's so much more to lose. You're losing a, a vibrant relationship with Christ. You're losing your, your, your grace, your, your access to the divine enablement. Can you get it back? Yes, God's always there, open arms. He'll never love you any less. But the point is, you, you want an empowered life. That's what we're wanting to live. That's what we're reaching for. And so it's, it's the deepest love that sacrifices. It's the truest love that forgives but the most joy-filled life. So the most joyful life, the most joyful love commits. You say, it always comes back down to this commitment, doesn't it? Well, let me just say something, and, and we're, we're getting ready to close because I, I, I'll, I'll pick up where we left off next week. But, but this joyful commitment, it's so much different than, than, our, than our lives. Than, than, than our types of commitment. In fact, I want to break down verse 25 uh, through, I think, 30. Because a commitment that, that, that he's making out of love is this commitment that every person to a church, whatever you're going to enjoy in life, it needs these five commitments. Here they are. Verse number 25, a commitment to stay together. Verse 26 through 27, a commitment to have the same values. One mind, one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Verse 27, a commitment to the same spirit. Uh, verse 28 through 30, a commitment to stand together. Uh, a commitment to rejoice together. By the way, stand together through grief. Stand together through disappointment. Stand together. We, we, we're here not just for the great times, but for the hard times too. But if we're not willing to stay together, none of this is joyful. If we're not willing to have the same values, then, then it's all going to be conflict. If we're not willing to have the same spirit, then, 
then it's going to be difficult. Every single discussion, every single thing in our relationships is going to be hard. Uh, if, if we're not willing to stand together when it, when it gets tough, if we're not willing to rejoice together, then it's not going to be enjoyable. And so the whole point that he's trying to make, and guys put up the scripture, verse 25 through 30, is he's trying to say, I have this confidence that, that I know that I shall abide and continue with you all, meaning for me to live is Christ, to die is game. If I die, it's good because I get to see Christ. If I live, it's good because I get to see you. So he says, listen, I, I, I'm going to abide and continue. I really believe that. But here's why. For, the, for your furtherance and joy of faith. Here's what the word furtherance means. I said it means progress, but it's a little deeper than that. It's progress. It's little steps toward, in spite of little steps forward in spite resistance. This was the word they would use. This, uh, this, this Greek word, they would use this word uh, for ships that were sailing through deep waters and the waves were crashing, but they were still making headway. They were sailing through troubled waters and the wind was against them and they were still uh, paddling, still trying to get forward momentum, albeit a little bit at a time. This is the word for that. A little progress at a time. It was also the word they would use for someone who had a machete or, or some type of stick and they were exploring through a jungle, cutting away the thick brush. This is the same word that was used to say uh, just one step at a time, one obstacle at a time. And so it is pride that says that, that the obstacle, the, the difficulty, is uh, the inconvenience that needs to be avoided. But here's your takeaway today, and that is love sees every obstacle as an opportunity to give assistance. Love sees an opportunity. Pride sees an obstacle. Love sees the ability to assist, the ability to help, the ability to connect. Pride sees an inconvenience. Now let me illustrate this. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't tell uh, Ricardo that I was going to do this, so I apologize, Ricardo, um, in, in the busyness of it. Uh, but Ricardo, I want you to come on up here, okay? Because you're, 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 you're a help, okay? And uh, if I were, no, no, I'm going to stand, actually. Um, if I were to say to Ricardo, there's probably not a lot of room, so, so why don't you go get another chair? In fact, go get another chair. So I'm trying to help him, right? So he goes and gets another chair, and I'm like, well, it took you long enough. I mean, couldn't have been faster. You couldn't have run down. We're all waiting on you. And so then I say, okay, well, you might need some help, so I'm going to help you up. So, so I'm, now, I'm, now I'm trying to help him up. And someone walks by. One person could say, why is that guy pulling this guy down? In fact, maybe even Ricardo could say, maybe even I could say, man, Ricardo's always trying to pull me down. Or I could say, no, you know what? I'm always just trying to pull Ricardo up. You see, see the difference there? The, the energy had to be done. There had to be a give and take. There had to be a sacrifice. There had to be a connection. There had to be something that happened that got him from one level to the next. But we're going through life, thank you, Ricardo. We're going through life complaining about everyone who's trying to pull us down instead of saying, no. I'm going to see who I can pull up. 
I'm going to see who through the grace of God and through the love of God I can hold on to. And I don't care if it feels like they're an anchor. I'm going to use them and, and, and hoist the sails. I, I don't care if, if, if they're the Eeyore. I can be joyful even when they're not happy. I don't care if they're the ones always trying to, 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 to complain. I'm just going to say that I'm in your life to bring some joy. I am your ray of sunshine because God has put it in me. Not because I'm fake. Not because I'm perfect. No, because I'm making progress in this area called love. And I'm willing to commit myself to a selfless, sacrificial, forgiving love that says regardless of what you do, I'm going to live my life as unto Christ. Let me read one more verse and then we'll pray. And that is this. Put up the verse 25 through 30. He says this. He says in verse 29, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him. I hope that you have believed on him. But it says this, but also to suffer for his sake. A lot of people try to paint the Christian life like it's this butterflies and rainbows and God never said it would be easy. But Jesus said it would be better. So much better than what, what your way of doing things, uh, the, the way we want to do things. And verse 30 says, having the same conflict which ye saw in me and now here to be in me. Paul was saying, what happens to you is what determines your happiness. But in a couple weeks, we're going to see that joy is not determined on what happens to you. Joy is what, is what happens in you. And if Christ is in you, you have grace and you have the love of God that, that, that can reach beyond anything. You say anything? Yes. I'm not, I'm not a, a big proponent of, you know, the the positive thinking and, and, and all of those things. But I am a big proponent of this. If God says something's possible, I gotta take him at his word. And so let's take him at his word that we can reach for love. We don't have to do it all at once, but we can do it one step at a time. So let's make some progress, should we? And let's grow together, not separately, together. Thanks again for listening. If you would like to learn more about our church or how to get connected, Check us out online at findnewlife.church or find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Find New Life. Have an amazing day.